All right. Good morning, New Life. How are we today? All right. You're a little more energetic than the first service. Um, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. If you're watching with us online, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Um, as Pastor Eddie said, my name is Tim Shepard. I'm the student pastor here at New Life Church. This is my bride, Mariah, right down here on the front row. She is carrying our firstborn, 17 weeks on Tuesday. We're very, very excited. Um, couple things, uh, Pastor Brady, he will be back with us next week. He uh, decided to give the keys to the car to the student pastor and young adults pastor this week. So if you don't see me or Eddie for a while, something went terribly wrong today. <laughs> terribly wrong today. Um, this coming Wednesday is first Wednesday as well. So we will be having a worship service this Wednesday. Yeah, so 6.30 right here in the worship center. We can't wait to see you. Also, I know that we have our elementary school students joining us today. So parents, take a deep breath. I'm gonna keep this really quick. It's gonna be very easy. It'll be a painless Sunday, I promise you. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them and turn to Ruth chapter four. I'm gonna go ahead and close out this series in the book of Ruth today, and then we're gonna rock and roll. So before we get going, let's go ahead and hop in with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love you, we love you, we love you. We are so thankful. We are thankful that you are a God who has come near to us. You are Emmanuel. God with us as we celebrate and take time to anticipate the coming of the Messiah here as we start Advent. We pray that you would come and you would speak to us this morning. You would refresh us with your spirit this morning. Father, I pray that you would unveil our eyes to see you. You would give us ears to hear you, minds to understand you and hearts to believe you. And if you can agree with that this morning, can you say amen? Have you ever had a moment in your life where something was going so wrong and it turned out to actually turn out okay? You ever had a moment like this in your life? Six or four, four or five months ago, my wife and I, uh, we were celebrating six years of marriage and we went to uh, fly down to Phoenix, Arizona in June. I know we learned it was 115 degrees. We won't do it again. All right, but we're, we're, we're young. We were expecting, so we're like, hey, let's slip away. And we go down to Arizona, we fly and our flights get delayed a couple hours. So we get into Arizona at midnight and like, it's our anniversary. We're like expecting like it to be a good time. We're expecting us to like celebrate and have fun with one another and have good conversation. And all it takes is like traveling to go south for your marriage to be tough, right? So we get in at midnight, we hop in the car and and I, 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 I know that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy and hurt marriages. And the primary method by which he does this in our marriage is Google Maps. <laughs> we have had more conflict in the car with me sitting in the driver's seat and my wife in the passenger seat. And instead of reading the direction, she likes to follow the blue line you know, on, uh, on Google Maps. So I'm saying, hey, is this my exit? No, this isn't your exit. We passed the exit, that was your exit. At midnight, so we're getting frustrated. So we go on this trip and like, like there are just things. You, you, I mean, married couples in the room, you know what I'm talking about. They're, they're just starting to like, you're on each other's heels. Nothing seems to be going well. Two days into this trip, we were going to, we had planned to go see the Grand Canyon. We had never seen the Grand Canyon before. And, and we were sitting there and we got in another fight the night before we were going to leave. And the thing with the Grand Canyon is, it's three hours away from 
Phoenix. So that's three hours in a car with somebody that you need to love a little extra when you're not getting along. And so we're sitting there praying. We wake up that morning, we both get in the car and we both give each other that look like, are we about to endure this with one another? And so we do the godly thing, you know, we give each other each other's hands and we're like, let's pray. Let's pray. So we begin to pray and ask the Lord that the day would be a good day, that we wouldn't fight, that we wouldn't, you know, drive each other crazy. And so we, we start embarking on this road trip and all of a sudden conversation just started going really, really well. And I'm like, wow, this is like, this is like starting to be a good trip, but like still not a memorable trip. Like we're still figuring out, I've never seen the Grand Canyon. We get 45 minutes away from the Grand Canyon and I go, hey, is there anything to do at the Grand Canyon other than just look at the Grand Canyon? And my wife pulls up Google and she says, hey, there's a place you can go skydiving. And I looked at my wife and I said, are you my wife? She goes, we should go skydiving. I said, okay. So we called the airport. I said, call them and see if they have anything available today. She calls the airport and they say, well, how far are you away? We said, 30 minutes. They say, if you drive straight here right now, we'll get you on the next plane up. It's our last two spots of the day. So to prove to you that I'm not lying, I have a photo. We went skydiving the Grand Canyon with one another. And I love this photo. I love this photo because every time I look at this photo, I go, Google Maps didn't win. <laughs> God takes what the enemy meant for evil and he uses it for our good. Now, the reason why I share this story with you is because this is but a drop in the ocean of what we see in the book of Ruth at the end of Ruth. A story that was going so south, but we get to chapter four and everything is set right. The conclusion, the resolution of this story gives us great joy. We have, we have Ruth and Naomi, two widows in chapter one, going back to Bethlehem, not knowing what is going to take place in a place of mourning for losing their husbands. And in chapter two, we have, we have Ruth going into Boaz's fields and starting to collect, collect kind of leftover grain. And then, and then Naomi getting excited that maybe this is the one to redeem their family. And then chapter three, last week, uh, Pastor Glenn kind of talked us through what desperate faith kind of looks like. Ruth going to Boaz's feet, understanding that, that he is, is a way of life, an opportunity for all of their brokenness to be redeemed. And at the end of chapter three, we're given this moment of Boaz going, there's one ahead of me that has the right to redeem your family. I have to address this first. And so he moved forward and it says he did not rest. He won't rest until he takes care of this. And this is where we're gonna pick up in chapter four. Now, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna read 17 verses. I know it's a lot. Parents, I promise you, I'm gonna keep this quick. 17 verses, recap it. And we're gonna look at three things that we see from the redemptive character and nature of God. Then we'll go home and eat leftovers. Sound good? Sound good? All right. Ruth chapter four, starting in verse one. If you do not have your Bible, you can follow with me on the screen. It says this, meanwhile, Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And just then the redeemer about whom Boaz had spoken was passing by. And he said, sir, come over here and sit down. So he turned aside and sat down. Then he took 10 men from the town's elders and said, sit down here. And they sat down. And Boaz said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has returned from the field of Moab, is selling the portion of the field that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought that I should let you know and say, buy it 
in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you won't redeem it, tell me so that I may know. There isn't anyone to redeem it except you and I'm next in line after you. And the redeemer replied, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, on the day when you buy the field from Naomi, you also buy Ruth, the Moabite, the wife of the dead man, in order to preserve the dead man's name for his inheritance. But the redeemer replied, then I can't redeem it for myself without taking damage to my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You can have my right of redemption because I am unable to act as redeemer. In Israel in former times, this was the practice regarding redemption. Redemption and exchange to confirm any such matter. A man would take off his sandal and give it to the other person. This was the process of making a transaction binding in Israel. Then the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. If you're following me in your Bible, go ahead and underline that. Buy it for yourself. And he took off his sandal. And Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon and also Ruth the Moabite, the wife of Malon, I've bought to be my wife, to preserve the dead man's name for his inheritance so that the name of the dead man might not be cut off from his brothers or from the gate of his home down. Today you are witnesses. Can you say today you are witnesses? Uh, and I'm making sure that you're with me. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord grant that the woman who is coming to your household be like Rachel and like Leah, both of whom built up the house of Israel. May you be fertile in Ephrathah and may you preserve a name in Bethlehem and may your household be like the household of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah through the children that the Lord will give you from this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. He was intimate with her and the Lord let her become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, may the Lord be blessed who today hasn't left you without a redeemer. May his name be proclaimed in Israel. He will restore your life and sustain you in your old age. Your daughter-in-law who loves you has given birth to him. She's better for you than seven sons. Naomi took the child and held him to her breast and she became his guardian. Verse 17, and the neighborhood women gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They called his name Obed. He became Jesse's father and David's grandfather. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to which all God's people said. Thanks be to God. So what we have here at the end of this story is Boaz going to find the one who's first in line to redeem Naomi's family. He finds them at the gate and he sits them down. Then he brings 10 elders of the city over and he sets them down and he says, here's the situation. You're the one first in line to redeem this family. Will you redeem it? The guy says, I will redeem it. Then he says, oh, by the way, you have to take a Moabite as a wife. He goes, I can't redeem it. You can take it. So Boaz goes, great. You are all witnesses here today. I'm going to be the redeemer of Naomi's name of this family. I'm going to take Ruth the Moabite. She is going to become my wife. The Lord gives them a son. This son is Obed, the father of Jesse, the father of King David. A beautiful, beautiful resolution 
to this story. God takes something that's broken, something that the enemy meant for evil, and he uses it for our good. We've talked all throughout this series about God's sovereignty, about how God works behind the scenes, engages with our lives. And what we see here in this story is God working in broken and hurting circumstances to bring about not just his glory, but also our good. So what I wanna glean from this chapter today is three attributes that we see in the story of Boaz and Ruth that actually reflect the redemptive character and nature of our God. And this is the first that I want you to see, that God commits to what he redeems. He commits to what he redeems. Let me show it to you here in the text. Verse eight, it says, And the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself. And he took off his sandal. And Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I've bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. And look here in verse 10. And also Ruth the Moabite, the wife of Malon, I've bought to be my wife. I've bought to be my wife. I want you to notice something here that Boaz doesn't just give some sum of money. He doesn't just pay a ransom to redeem Naomi and Ruth's situation. He gives himself. He puts his own reputation, his own name on the line. He commits himself, he binds himself to this Moabite woman and to this broken situation. And I want you to take notice that this is exactly what God does for us. It's before the foundation of the world, he looks at humanity, he looks at his people and he says, I'm going to bind myself to them. This is why the apostle Paul in Ephesians five, he likens the relationship between Christ and the church to a marriage. He says, this mystery is profound. Now, why is this significant? Why is committing oneself to something so Special, I think about my own bride, getting married to her six and a half years ago. What, what's so special about that covenantal relationship? Well, when you commit yourself to someone, their joys become your joys and their pains become your pains. Their identity becomes your identity. Why is this good news for us? Because the God of the universe who is perfect, holy and blameless, decided to do that with us. He's committed himself to us. Let me show you here in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, for our sake, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become what? So this is what the apostle Paul is saying. He says, if you're gonna follow Jesus and give your life to Jesus, this is the exchange that takes place. God is going to take his son who knew no sin and he is going to become our sin. And in exchange for your sin, you are going to get the righteousness of Christ. God commits himself to us. And why this is good news is because we become the righteousness of God we become one with Christ himself. We become a new creation. This is the beauty of God committing himself to what he redeems, but he doesn't just stop there. It gets better. He doesn't just commit himself to what he redeems, but he's proud of what he redeems. 
God's proud of what he redeems. Let me show you how Boaz responds to being the one who gets to redeem Naomi and Ruth. Verse 10, and also Ruth the Moabite, the wife of Malon, I've bought to be my wife, to preserve the dead man's name for his inheritance, so that the name of the dead man might not be cut off from his brothers or from the gate of his hometown. Today, everyone say today. Can you hear the anticipation in Boaz's voice here? He's saying, this woman, this Moabite woman, she's not even from Israel. I'm gonna take her to be my wife. And he looks at the 10 elders and he looks at all the people who are standing around and the one who could have redeemed it. And he says, today, you are witnesses. I am going to be the redeemer of this woman and of this inheritance and of this name. And they respond with such excitement. They said, we are witnesses. May the Lord bless you. Have you ever had something in your life that you're extremely proud of? You wanna know how you're proud of something? You can't help but share it with the world. Can't help but share it with the world. My, uh, my favorite movies growing up was the Star Wars trilogy, the original six to be clear. Original six to be clear. I love Star Wars. When I was seven, eight years old, my parents bought me my first lightsaber. Now, there's just something about a kid, something about a kid, like, like you, don't, you don't have to be married to be proud of something. Like all you have to be is a child with your favorite toy to be proud of something. I mean, it was the kind of thing, like when I got my, I mean, Obi-Wan Kenobi was my favorite, my favorite Jedi. This is Anakin Skywalker's lightsaber. I can, you can tell I was homeschooled till I was in sixth grade. That's how I know that. But I, I got this license. Now here's what happened. When I, got, when, I, when I got my favorite toy, this is what I do. You know, I kind of put it on the belt like that. If it'll go on like that. And then, and then what I do is I'd walk to the park into friends' houses, kind of like, you know, like. <laughs> like, I want you to be clear, this is my toy. This is my toy. I mean, these things were like indestructible when you were a kid. Like, I know the youth pastor's preaching and we got lightsabers on stage. It's okay. <laughs> It's okay. I mean, these were indestructible. You could play baseball with these things. My parents would spank us with these. <laughs> it was fantastic. But like, I mean, kids would walk in, you know, and I'd be like, yo, what's up? What's up? Oh, you wanna play Jedi's? I was so proud to show what was mine. Everywhere I go to preach, I'm so proud to say that Mariah Gray Shepherd is my wife. I love to tell the world that that woman is my wife. Grandparents in here, we know that you are very proud of your grandchildren because you have to show 8,000 people plus some pictures of your grandchildren. We like to show the world what we are proud of. Now hear me, it's the same with our God. He likes to show the world what he's proud of. He's proud of his bride. He's proud of his people. And I think oftentimes we get this picture of God that, that his redemption is like a begrudging redemption. You know, like he just kind of has to do it and, and, and he's kind of ashamed to, to bring this bride into his house who's marred and sinful and broken and hopeless and, and, and could really care less for him. And so it's kind of like he, he redeems us, but it is what it is. He'll put us in the back room and he doesn't need to tell anybody about it. That's not the story of the gospel. The story of the gospel is that God looked down on heaven and he gave a bride that is without spot or blemish. As the apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5, he presented to himself a radiant church. A radiant church to be holy and blameless. God is proud 
of what he redeems. He commits himself to what he redeems. But it doesn't just stop there. It gets better. God glorifies what he redeems. He glorifies what he redeems. Pay attention here to the end of the story. Verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, may the Lord be blessed, who today hasn't left you without a redeemer. May his name be proclaimed in Israel. He will restore your life and sustain you in your old age. Your daughter-in-law who loves you has given birth to him. She's better for you than seven sons. And Naomi took the child and held him to her breast and she became his guardian. Verse 17, and the neighborhood women gave him a name saying a son has been born to Naomi. They called his name Obed and he became Jesse's father, David's grandfather. Three chapters ago, four chapters ago, we have two widowed women without a chance for a life. And now all of a sudden, God has taken these two women, one of which a Moabite, not having anything to do with the house of Israel. And four chapters later, he has made her a part of the genealogy, the line, not just of King David, but of the Messiah. God glorifies what he redeems. What this text is saying here, brothers and sisters, is that right now is not the end to our story. That trial, circumstance, suffering, brokenness, any pain that you might've brought in here with you today is not the end to our story. The end to our story is Revelation 21, heaven coming down to earth and God's dwelling place being with who? Us. So here's the question that I wanna put before you today. What does it look like to receive this God as our sovereign redeemer? You might be sitting in here with me this morning and going, hey, this is a great story in the Old Testament, a great story for Naomi and a great story for Ruth. But what does it mean for me? What is my proof that God commits himself to me, that God is proud of me, that God glorifies me? And here's my answer to that. His name is Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter six or, Mar or Matthew 26 or Mark 14 we have Jesus sitting with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. And every Sunday we come together to the table of the Lord and we quote the words that Jesus said to his followers as he's holding the bread. And he looks at them and he says, this is my body broken for whom? For you. I have committed myself to you. I'm going to call you my bride, my beloved. Luke chapter 15, we get the, the most popular parable in all of scripture, the story of the prodigal son, where we have a son who takes his father's inheritance early and he goes to a far off country and he squanders it. And then he comes back realizing, I've, 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 I have nothing. Everything that I needed was at my father's house. And so he comes marching back, rehearsing some speech. And we're given a picture of a father who sees his son a long way off. And what does he do? He runs to him. He puts a robe on his back, a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet. He looks at the servants of the house and he says, let's have steak tonight. 
and let's party. Why? Because my son who was lost is now found. He was dead and he's now alive. There's no shame in this father to redeem his child. And hear me, there's no shame in the father in pursuing every single person in this room. He's proud to redeem. And it doesn't end there. He glorifies us. The apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter eight, right? Romans eight, starting in verse 30, he says, those who God decided in advance would be conformed in his son, he also called. And those whom he called, he also made righteous. And those whom he made righteous, he also what? Glorified. As I invite the band back up, I, uh, I wanna invite you to realize good news this morning. Can you stand with me? I told you I'd be quick. I kept my promise. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, he's looking at the church in Corinth or going through persecution. And he says, look at me, brothers and sisters. This light and momentary affliction is not worth being compared to the eternal weight of glory that is being prepared for you, for you. And here's the sense that I got this morning as I was praying for you, that I think far too often we don't see a God who's willing to do any of, three of, the, any of the three of these things. That he's actually a God who, who kind of wants to keep us at a stiff arm and not commit to us. He's gonna wait to see, are we willing to commit to him? And we have a God who's looking at us and he sees your brokenness, your fallenness, your sin. And he goes, I'd be ashamed to call that my own. And I need you to hear good news this morning, that that's not the God we see in scripture. The God we see in scripture is similar to the countenance of Boaz. He's eager, he's ready, and he's longing to commit himself to his bride. He's not ashamed. He's not ashamed of taking something broken, sinful, and hurting into his house. In fact, he delights in it. And that's not the end of the story. His story is to take us from rags to riches, from death to life from sickness to health, from brokenness to wholeness. And so as we respond this morning, I wanna invite you to bow your heads. The story of Ruth shows us that there's a sovereign God, a God who works behind the scenes for his glory and for our good and even in difficult circumstances, it's a story that shows us God has not walked away. And you need, you need to hear this morning that God has not walked away from you. He has not abandoned you. God knows the end of your story and the invitation of the gospel is for it to be with him. And so I believe with all my heart this morning that for those who are hopeful and strong this morning and for those who are hopeless and weak this morning 
God is pursuing you. He's a sovereign redeemer, working all things in your life for his glory and your good. And so what I think is the only logical response to that good news is thankfulness and adoration. So I asked the band to go back into this song, oh come, let us adore him. As we sit here at the beginning of Advent, an eagerness, a waiting, a longing, an anticipation for this God who has pledged himself to us, who is proud to call us his own, who plans to glorify us at the end of all things in Christ. What can we say but thank you, Jesus? Thank you, Jesus. So with your head bowed, if you can and if you feel willing, will you open your hands? And can you say those three simple words? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Say it in faith again. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, we thank you. One more time, brothers and sisters. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's worship. continues. Come, let us worship. Come, let us worship. As Pastor Tim mentioned, this week is First Wednesday, and that's what we do. We're inviting each other to come and worship who? Christ the Lord. Wednesday night in this room, 630. If you've never been to First Wednesday, 
They're so awesome because God is awesome and he's worthy to be praised. And so I just want to invite you to come back Wednesday night, 6.30 in this room. We're going to praise God together. And just a couple more reminders before we head out here today. Uh, The first is if you're new around here, uh, we'd love for you to connect with us at Connect Central, which is out these middle doors. There's a corner right there. You can meet some of our staff, ask any question that you have. We'd love to answer that. And uh, we'd love to see you there if, uh, if you're new around here. Also, if, if there's something on your heart that you want prayed over, we don't want you to leave without someone praying with you. So I'm gonna invite the prayer team to go ahead and start coming forward. They're gonna line the front of the stage. And then as soon as we conclude the service, you can just come forward and ask someone, just say, hey, would you pray for this? And, and we'd love, we would love to pray with you. All right, well, before we head out, I just want to bless you with the same words that Paul blessed the church in Colossae with in Colossians chapter three. Now think of all that God has done today and how we've responded to him. And let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, wherever you go, whatever you do this week, whether in word or deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Go now with the grace and peace of Jesus Christ. We'll see you next week.